Take your Bibles now and open up to Revelation 21. And one more thought just came to my mind. And it's just, it's kind of just a reality check. As I was drumming, I had this overwhelming just thought of just how good the Lord is for guys like me. See, what I do is I, I, I lead a church and I pastor a people and I, I manage an organization. And there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of, a lot of things. And, and a lot of the pressure and a lot of the things are, are my fault, not God's fault. Like I just bring a bunch of weird stuff to the table, you know. If you've ever been in charge of something, usually you, 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 you kind of mess things up just by showing up. So it's not God's fault. The church is beautiful. It's, it's, it, and, and I feel that the Lord through this pandemic and the shutdown and what I just call the, just the, the holy e-break, you know, the Lord just watched this, you know, locked them up globally. And what it's done is it's, it's done a lot. A lot of stuff that's been difficult. But a lot of stuff coming out of it now, and I pray in Jesus' name we're coming out of it. A lot of it is it's just, it's set me free from a lot of fears, a lot of, uh, really, a lot of stresses that were maybe man-centered. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a real person, okay? And you're a real person. And everyone's a real person. And yet there's all these trappings and all these facades and all these things that we crowd around ourselves which put pressure on us to perform and to succeed and social media and popularity and likes and subscriptions and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And as I was worshiping this morning, I was just so sad. I was like, thank you, Lord, for just messing everything up. Thank you for messing everything up. It's so cool because it allows me, I don't know about you, I don't know how you're processing. It's allowed me to just be maybe more normal in my own mind. Think less of myself and more just of what the Lord is doing. And I would say this, though. There has been uh, complications all around. Everything's just messed up. Our volunteer base at South Beach Church is all messed up. We, we, don't, we can't do things we used to do just because everyone's, you know, there's hundreds of people watching at home online still. And I, and I respect those who are at home and conflicted and, you know, scared and, and processing and, and honoring, you know, certain things. I get it. And so with our Sunday school program, we, we don't have enough volunteers to, to relaunch Sunday school, nor do we have enough what we call freedom and permission to just start taking care of other people's kids during this time. You know, we don't want to uh, rush it. Uh, I talked to a friend of mine, though, who said, you know who really needs volunteers is the Salvation Army. They need volunteers right now throughout the holiday season. They're open all week long giving food away. And I thought, oh, my gosh, the volunteer base at South Beach Church, that's really all I'm in charge of, has been just, you know, kind of just, just hit. And so, not just us, everywhere is discombobulated. And so I'm both rejoicing the freedom that I think God has afforded to us to strengthen the things that remain let go of the things that were weighty. Remember that verse in Hebrews where he says, hey, you're running a race. Put down sinful things, duh. But also put down the weighty things. They're not sinful. They're just slowing you down. They're just, they're just foolish. And, and the Lord has, you know, done that. One of the costs, though, has been a, a reorganization of churches and organizations. So anyways, I just put that out there. Um, that the Lord is doing what he's doing in order, not that you would just, just stay home, stay home as long as you need, and myself included, or stay disengaged, okay? From a life group, from CR, from worship team, from young life, from volunteering, from ringing the bell, you know, things gotta go on, they gotta keep going. And if you're like me, you have a testimony. You have purpose, you have value. You know, you've looked behind the veil, and it's not the Wizard of Oz, you know? It's the Lord. In your face and be beholding the veil, you're being transformed. And so the Lord wants us to get 
He wants us to take charge. Matter of fact, it's so cool. I made this announcement a couple weeks ago, but the church, South Beach Church, has been following the Lord, and we believe that the Lord led us to enter into an agreement with some office spaces on the north end of the bridge, right there by FlexFit Chiropractic. And we've been working for the last 18 days now, remodeling some office spaces. And it's so cool because even every day we're remodeling and putting in things and picking paint colors and flooring and fixtures and lights and just working hard. Why? Because we want to create a space where we can advance the kingdom of God, where we can meet with one another, be more available, more accountable, more intentional in Newport. And as I sit back, I say, that is wild. Because this is still, we're at the, it, the pandemic's still, you know, impacting people. And what God is leading our church to do is to not retreat, but to advance to the best of our ability. There's certain things we can't do. Large mass gatherings, you know, 100,000 people or less or whatever they're calling it, you know. Can't do that, but we can keep going forward. So I just want to exhort you. If you ask the Lord, Lord, are you setting me free? Is that what this is? Are you stripping me away of the things that are weighty? Oh, thank you. Oh, man, I just want to be me. So exciting. So free. But Lord, have I also been, you know, tipped over? Do I need to be righted? Do I need to get back in the game to the degree that the Lord would, would bless you? So if that's the Salvation Army, if that's you know Sunday school or worship team or, or evangelism teams or whatever the case is, men's ministry, women's ministry, let's just pray and ask God to lead us and guide us in all that. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We worship you. I'm so grateful to be here. I just I pinch myself. I say, no way. It's happening. We're back. Crazy. And yet we've been through the woods. We've been up and down. We've been in a maze. And you are sovereign. In all of that, you are sovereign, Lord. And there are obvious things that you have done during this pandemic and during this shakedown. You Obvious things. We thank you for that, Lord. I just never forget, never take for granted the time I had off with my family on Sundays watching services at home. For me, it was such a joy. Such a joy. A redemption. And I thank you for that. And so we worship you, Lord, but we also look to the future. Would you energize the church? A new administration leading our country, Lord, that's for me pretty far away. It doesn't really impact me. So I'm over here on the West Coast. And I, I pray for the church, Lord, on the East Coast. And every, I just pray for the church. Help us not to be dominated or distracted or fixated on lesser things, but instead to invest in the things that are eternal. What a grand time to be alive. What a grand time to stand against the wiles of the enemy. With the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. On the foundation, that is Jesus. So we stand with you today, Lord. Would you honor us and bless us again? We thank you for all you've done. Thank you for technology, for our tech team that has worked so hard to make sure that our online services are the best we could possibly uh, provide. Your word will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you have set it out to do. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Revelation. Thank you for letting me process. All that was just kind of off the cuff. I just, just had a thought and chased it. Appreciate you guys letting me do that. We'll see how the 11 a.m. service unfolds. Hey, Revelation 21. We're going to talk about heaven today. What a great day to talk about heaven and to set our mind on things above, not on things below, as it says in the book of Colossians. So turn to Revelation chapter 21. There's only 22 chapters in Revelation. 
The last two are dedicated to describing what heaven is going to be like. It's a prophecy. It's a promise. It's not a prediction. It's a prophecy and a promise. This is what's going to happen. And when you know what's going to happen, it helps you to order your days in what is happening. How many of you guys have stuff happening today? You got things going on, things ups and downs. You're being pulled in all these directions. If you know the future from the now, you'll live now in light of the future. Okay, so we're going to read a few verses and study it. Join me in verse, let's try seven. If you weren't here last week, where were you? Just think, think about that for a minute. Verse seven says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. <laughs> and I will be his God and he shall be my son. We're gonna start there. What a promise. We learned the seven attributes of heaven last week, didn't we? That it's renewed, it's real, it's refreshing, it's rewarding, it's full of really, all these things. I'll talk about it in a minute. Heaven's gonna be amazing. You're gonna be called the children of God and you're gonna receive the inheritance of God, but you gotta overcome first. We'll talk about that today. Verse eight, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have, listen, their part. I've got their part circled. In the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Just a quick observation. There are those who are sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ. You get what Christ gets. <laughs> because you're part of your God's child now. Then there are others who say, I don't want to be God's kid. I don't want part of God's kingdom. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to believe any of that stuff. And you know what? Free will and freedom says you, you don't have to, I guess. But then you, you do have a part assigned to you and it's in the lake of fire. You can either have God's wealth or God's wrath. You can't have both and you will have one or the other. Then into some new territory today. We're going to go through all the way to verse 21, so buckle up. Right? Then one of the seven angels, verse 9, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, well, he came to me and he talked with me saying, hey, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. Listen, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Stop right there, eyes up here. Today we're going to talk about heaven, what heaven is like, what heaven is going to be like the attributes, the elements, the ingredients. And if you're getting older, you tend to think about heaven a little more every day. The older you get, you think about it more and more. When I was younger, I knew heaven existed. I mean, I, God put eternity in my heart, like he says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three, he's written it on my heart. I know there's a hereafter. But as a kid, you don't think about it much, you know, because there's too much popcorn to eat. <sighs> there's too, much, too many video games to play. I don't want to go to heaven yet. And then you get a little older and you start to, get disenfranchised with the world a little bit. It's like, it disappoints you, doesn't it? And usually you're part of that disappointment. And, and it's just, it's less appealing. And even the things you get are like, it's just, man, it never satisfies. This world, it's like a leaky bucket. It's just never, no matter how much I, it never. And then as you get even older, you start to see your loved ones go to heaven. More and more. Isn't this crazy? As a pastor, I get to carry little babies in dedications, and I get to marry couples in wedding, and I get to bury people as they die. I carry them, I marry them, and I bury them. 
And as I see this and I see my own family members and friends go to heaven, I think, oh man, heaven is described here. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be so rad. But also, <gasps> reunion. Remember when Peter and James and John were taken to the mountain of transfiguration and they saw Jesus transfigured and Elijah and Moses showed up? Immediately they knew who it was. They knew it was Elijah and Moses. Now, I don't think Elijah and Moses had name tags. Hello, my name is Elijah. You know? <laughs> Hello, my name. You know, I don't think they, I think they just, when we're in heaven, we're going to know him as even as we're known. It's just gonna, there's going to be no separation. Heaven's going to be so amazing. And I don't know about you, but if you're younger still, you're not really that enticed by it. You'd rather get a million followers on TikTok. You know, you got other, other objectives, other goals, lesser thrones, trying to get stuff down here. And I get you. I'm kind of in that middle area where I'm still super young. Right? Man, I was walking around last night trying to find the bathroom, you know. I was like, am I getting old? Is that what just happened? You know, I'm stumbling around. <sighs> Too much information? Sorry. And I realized I was getting... Anyways. What was I talking about? <laughs> Heaven. Heaven. And the, the, I just... I, I did a funeral yesterday. I, I participated in one, I should say. It was at the First Baptist Church. I was invited to be there and was asked to speak. And it was for Georgia Delon. And Walt, her husband, was there, a widower. And he asked me to come share and to be there. And it was such a rad time. I, I, it's Saturdays, I'm busy, I, you know, and I just sat down and started to listen to the other pastors and people share. And it was such a treat to hear the testimony. And I don't know if you guys know Georgia. She went to the First Baptist Church and, and I only met her once. It was a powerful meeting. I'll tell you about it someday if you're lucky. And, and Pastor Glenn at one point read some letters that were sent from the East Coast. And, and he sent one particular letter, and this was so crazy. It was a letter that Georgia had written right before she died. And she wrote it to her husband, Walt. It was real simple, just one paragraph. She, and she wrote it to her husband while she's dying. And she gave it to her best friend. She said, when I'm gone and it's the right time, would you give this to Walt? He'll, you'll know when it's the right time. And so this letter, we'll start crying. Someone say something funny, quick. And, it, and, so, and so the letter was, it was very simple. And it was a confident letter. She said, Walt, my beloved. And she went on to explain to Walt that she was ready to die. That she was confident that she was going to heaven. She, she was fighting a terminal illness. And she came to that conclusion. She was cognitively able to write down and say, I'm ready, Walt. Now, Walt didn't want her to go, right? Duh. We don't want to be separated in that way. And so she knew we're going to be separated in that way, but I'm going to heaven. You're coming eventually. So with confidence, she penned this letter and gave it to her friend and said, about a month after I die, make sure he gets this and knows that I knew that I know where I'm going. And as I heard that and read that and celebrated with the people, the confidence of Georgia. Now, before that letter was written, somebody got up and they read out of John 14. And they read out of John 14 from George's Bible. And they showed us George's Bible. And in John 14, this is Revelation 21, but in, in, in John 14, it was marked up. You couldn't even see John 14. It wasn't just John 14, it was the whole Bible had been marked up. She was a woman of the word. She spent time in the word, singing, worshiping, praying, crying, writing, journaling, thinking, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
A lot of us have questions. What's heaven going to be like? What's it going to be like? What's going on? Question, question, question. Some of us have confidence. Not all. You want to have confidence in this life? You want to be more confident? Okay, it comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ through his word. So you know what's going on. See, Jesus said in John 14, hey, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you. If it weren't true, I would have told you so. End of story. <laughs> now you know. Oh, okay, cool. So Jesus is leaving. That's not what I want, but it's okay. He's coming back. He said he's coming back. And in the meantime, he's building something for me. That sounds good. So Georgia wrote her husband. I'll see you when you get there. And that confidence comes from knowing God through his word. And as we studied last week through Revelation 21, we saw those seven attributes of heaven. It's, it's, it's renewed. Behold, I make all things new. Not remodeled, not recycled. Can you imagine getting to heaven and being new? I don't even know if you can imagine that. You're probably just going to show up with like maybe a new hoodie on or something like, okay, you know, or whatever, maybe a fresh fade or something, you know. You're going to be made new. I imagine we're all going to be in our 30s. I just don't know. I just, because when Adam, the 30s are the best, you know what I'm saying, the prime time. And, and when Adam was created, I just imagine he was in his 30s when a priest would be able to serve in the priestly ministry. He had to be 30. And Jesus started his ministry at age 30. And I look like I'm 30. You know. <laughs> Uh, anyways, heaven's renewed. Everything's going to be new. Heaven is real. It's not some made up story. It's not some weird hope. It's a real place. I tend to believe that heaven is right here amongst us. It's not like a million billion miles away. It's right here. We are, we are dimensional beings and we're limited by our dimensional parameters. God's given us properties that we can't go into the next dimension. I believe that if we are able to, we could peel open heaven and step into that dimension right there. It's right among us. That's what I believe. You guys can believe whatever you want. But heaven's real. It's not only real, it's relational. God truly, truly in heaven will spend time with you and just hang out with you. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. And we can have that relationship with him here. It's also marked by relief. There'll be no more suffering, no more pain. It's refreshing. You ever been refreshed in the Lord? You ever, been tr you ever tried to get refreshed in the world? Eh. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your souls. Learn of me, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. The refreshing comes from the Lord. Not only is it refreshing, but it's rewarding and it's restricted. We talked about the restrictions. People will want to be there. I want to talk about that rewarding idea one more time. Look at verse 7. That's where we're going to begin today. We're going to hustle now. It says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We talked about that last week. Heaven's rewarding. There's an inheritance for the children of God. If you're a son or daughter, you're a co-heir with Christ. As a family member, you get what is passed down to you from your patriarch, from your matriarch, from your mom and dad. And Bible says here that if you overcome, I'm going to call you sons and daughters, and you're going to receive your inheritance. Now, let's just be honest, though. It says we have to overcome first. Right away, you think, wait a minute. I thought you said this is by grace and not of works. It's a free gift of God, lest anyone should boast. There's nothing, nothing we got to do. I don't necessarily feel like an overcomer. How many guys feel like an underachiever rather than overcomer? Okay. Here at South Beach Church, y'all should raise your hands. I'm the president. I don't, I don't feel like an overcomer. And there's, so I want, I want you guys to understand this. This is very important. How are you going to overcome? I'm going to read to you out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. This is what John says. This is important. I want you guys to think about this all week long. Talk about it in your life groups. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Stop right there, eyes up here. In two verses, three times, John says, you have overcome. You've overcome, you've overcome. Okay, I struggle every single day to like learn something new, drop something bad, figure it out. And every day I stumble, do you not? Yeah, here's our overcoming that gets us saved. Number one, by being born again, you win. You're an overcomer. Anybody here born again? You're born again. If you're born again and you continue to stumble by that, woo, you overcame. He who overcomes your old nature by being born again. Number two, also our faith, he says. If you're born again, everything changes. And yesterday at the memorial, Walt gave his testimony. Such a cool testimony. Him and Georgia both got saved at a Jesus conference. They were both uh, liturgically raised and one was Catholic, one was Methodist, and neither one of them had ever heard the term ever born again. Had no idea that that existed. And so they went to this Jesus conference, and during the preaching and teaching and sharing, they, they both became born again powerfully. And he said, we couldn't explain it to anybody. There's just no explaining it. Here's what he said, though. But it changed everything. It changed our marriage. It changed the way we worked. It changed the way we thought. It changed the way we lived. And they became evangelists everywhere they went. It changed everything. When I just heard that simple conclusion, what's it mean to be born again? And what's it mean to have faith? It changes everything. It just changes everything. They weren't perfect by any means, but they were living differently. And the third thing, guys, just so you know, 1 John 5, 5 says, he who believes that Jesus is the son of God has overcome the world. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Okay, you're a co-heir with Christ. You're going to heaven. You've overcome by simply believing. Even if you stumble today or tomorrow or you fail in your great attempts, are you still a believer? Yeah. I'm a believer. You believe that Jesus Christ rose from dead? Yeah. You believe that he died and paid for your sins and you're completely forgiven and going to heaven? Yeah, I guess so. And we're overcomers walking around waddling in our tears sometimes. Our faith that overcomes this world is in what he's done. Guys, write this down in your notes. Commit this one to memory. John 6, 29. Jesus was grilled one day by the Pharisees. They were all about works and righteousness. And so they asked Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? It's a great question. If there's works of God to be worked, you better like know them. If you got to do something for God, you better figure it out. And Jesus Christ, when asked point blank, what must we do to work the works of God? Jesus said, believe on him who he sent. This is the work of God. Mic drop. Where does your salvation come from? Where does your sanctification come from? Where does your justification come from? Believing on him who was sent. Did you know though that this is going to require work? Because you're a hedonist. Hedonist. You're a heathenist too. A hedonist. Somebody who looks to himself in this world for pleasure and for justification and for satisfaction. The work is to continue to put your faith and your hope and your rest in him, the anchor of our soul, behind the veil. He's done it all. When it says here in verse seven, he who overcomes, and then it goes on to say what heaven's gonna be like, that overcoming comes from what Christ has done and you believing in him. 
Guys, this is so important. You t- this is self-talk. Tell yourself this every day when you're tipped over, you're in the ditch, you've been a bad boy, you've been a bad girl, you haven't been doing right. Okay, do you believe in Jesus still? Yeah. Okay, well then let that change you. Or when you're dealing with other people who confess faith in Jesus Christ, they're overcomers. Okay, let's honor each other in that way. It's work, stinking thinking, self-doubt, all these things that come in, the accuser of the brethren. Does the accuser of the brethren have your address too or just mine? Because he shows up every day. He's like, nah, nah, I'm back. <laughs> so good. Well, let's get into some new territory. Verse 9. Then one of the angels, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. He showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is a thousand years after the end of the tribulation period. The thousand year reign has come and gone. The white throne judgment has come and gone. Satan has been bound to the lake of fire forever and ever, eternally separated from us. Now we're going into the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And in order to see that and conceptualize that, John has taken through all of the steps and seasons of the book of Revelation. And now we see the end and an angel shows up and says, I'm going to show you what it's all about. I'm going to show you the holy city, Jerusalem. But he doesn't just call it a holy city, Jerusalem. He calls it a bride and a wife. And I want you guys to just wrap your mind. There's going to be some thoughts in here that are obviously mysterious. We're two-dimensional or three-dimensional beings. I don't even know what dimension we're in actually any, anymore, but we're, we, we don't see things perfectly. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to be, oh, that's what he meant. And so what he says here, though, that the city of Jerusalem is descending out of the clouds to the new heaven and the new earth. Some people believe that it actually will hover. It won't descend. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. Okay, this is just wrap your mind around that. And yet it's called the city of God, the bride's wife, the lamb's wife. Let me just quickly make some connections for you. What makes a city a city? People. You would think a city is, because I say that to say this, it's going to describe kind of the construction of the city, the walls and the gates and the foundation. It's going to describe that. And one would think that the city is a city because of the buildings and the skyscrapers and the infrastructure and the roads. A city is a city because of the people. I say that to make this simple observation. What's going to make heaven spectacular isn't the stuff we're about to see, the gold and the stones and the pearls and all that stuff. What's going to make heaven spectacular is that it's God's bride. It's God's wife. It's people. It's people. And here's why this is so important, because right now we are on earth enamored with gold and stones and freeways and buildings. And we get pretty, pretty, pretty fired up. They're necessary components. They're going to be in heaven too. But you know what is more valuable than all that? People. You, got any, you have any people in your life right now? If any people in your life at all, even if you have a, somebody who makes your coffee at Starbucks, you know, anybody, <laughs> you know, somebody, they're so valuable. And yet we can look right past people so easily for the monetary things of this world, the weird stuff. Oh, man. That, that weird stuff will be there. Gold, all that stuff will be in heaven. But the primary, the angel's like, you want to see heaven? You want to see heaven? Let's go. Come on. This angel shows up and grabs John, takes him to a high place, and shows him the bride, the lamb's wife. This is really crucial, I believe, in our day of splintered denominationalism. 
I believe denominations are and supposed to be healthy in the body of Christ. There's, we're Calvary Chapel Church, okay? Doesn't make us better or, or indifferent or, or worse than any other church. It's just who we've decided to affiliate with. And, and there's the First Baptist Church and the Nazarene Church and the Church of God and the Assembly of God. And, there, and there's the Catholic Church and there's churches that, that, that teach the Bible and, and Jesus as, as Lord. And notice when the angel says, hey, come here, John. Let me show you South Beach Church. He doesn't say that. Let me show you Calvary Chapel. They're the only ones that made it. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. And because I say that, I'm saying that because, man, we're all messed up. Do you guys know that the church in heaven isn't going to be anything like the church in America? Okay, just pop your bubble. Sorry. You know why? Because the church is global. And the church has been around. That is the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. It has been around a lot longer than America. I'm so glad I'm in America. I love America. I love you guys. I love South Beach Church. I love Calvary Chapel. Okay, that's it. That's awesome. But there are other churches. There are other people. And it, I just, I, I say, because I, we want to be careful of becoming prideful, arrogant, divided and separated. Instead, wouldn't it be fun to be enamored and appreciative of other believers? You're a believer. I want to know your testimony. How'd you get saved? Why you go to church in Uganda? What's that like? Why are you from Lebanon and you go to church? Oh my gosh. What's that like? Or even studying church history? What's that like? Did you guys have hoodies too? <laughs> no? Okay. Guys, look at verse nine with me. I just want to point this out. It says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, he came to me, talked with me saying, hey, come, I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Stop right there, eyes up here. Interesting choice to give John a VIP tour of heaven. This angel, there's lots of angels. Angels are servants of God. They're sent ones, you know, they're messengers. This angel is picked. Did you notice his rap sheet, what he's been doing with his career? He was one of the seven angels who had the seven last plagues poured out on planet earth a thousand years earlier, destroying the world. That was his job before. And God's like, I got another job. Will you show John the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem? I just think it's interesting. You guys remember John or Revelation 15 when these angels were introduced and they came out of the throne of God all wearing white with gold sashes and they had those bowls. They were thin bowls, wide, not big bowls. That way when they poured them out, the wrath came quickly. And the Bible said in Revelation 15 that the wrath of God was complete. The bulls were full. There's no more room, God. They've done enough stuff to deserve a spanking. And it was time. See, God is patient. One, two, 5,000. You know, God's patient to judge the world. And yet these angels came out. I use the illustration of a medical team. White gowns, administering the medicine. And I said it earlier in my introductions. I'll say it again. You can either have the wealth of God, which is what this angel's doing. John, let me show you around. You're going to love this place. Dude. You're going to love it. And the angel begins to show John around, or you can have the wrath of God, which this same angel will administer to planet Earth at the right time. You can't have both. And you guys, again, I'm talking to you guys. You guys know this. You're here. We know. Look, quit yelling at us. You know, I get it. I get it. But you need to understand what the scriptures. God's wrath and his wealth, okay? They're both just. God is kind, willing that none should perish. And he's patient. Unwilling 
that any should perish. But he's also righteous enough to know that the sickness must receive the medicine. It's got to be cut out. Interesting choice, this angel. Sparks a thought in my mind. And he shows John, the bride, the lamb's wife, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. It says here that when this city comes out of heaven and hovers above the new earth from the new heaven, that it has the glory of God. Now, this is gonna go over most of our heads for the rest of our lives. We'll not understand the weightiness of this verse, the glory of God. It'll go on in the book of Revelation chapter 21. We'll see it in the day. Have you ever just eaten cotton candy before? You're like, oh, it's so good. And then it gets all over your beard. It's not that good. You can get a whole, you can get the whole thing of cotton candy. It's like, just vanity. It's gone. No weightiness to it. It's just. Complete clarity. And then the Holy Spirit just said, we began to weep. The three of us, we wept at the beauty. Right now, man, we see through a glass dimly. Like, I wasn't careful. I'd walk right off the stage. I don't know what's going on. Walk by faith. Matter of fact, how many of you guys wish you had more clarity right now? More clarity in your life? Okay, guess what? Ain't gonna happen. (laughs) It's not gonna happen! You know why? Because God is strengthening the muscle of faith right now. He's strengthening the muscle of faith. Your faith is more precious to God than gold that perishes by fire. As a matter of fact, let me read to you out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice. In what? That we're going to heaven. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? Verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stop right there, Isaac, here. You're going to heaven? Fired up, going through stuff. Yeah, that's part of the part of the process. Yeah, but I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. All right, shouldn't it be easy? Yeah, no. Why not? Because God wants your faith to be stronger and more pure. It's more precious than gold that perishes by fire. So on purpose, God will lay out for you a life that is not clear. Even though in heaven it's going to be clear. This is something you need to settle into right now. Man, I just wish I knew. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. <laughs> what if you don't know? 
well, then I guess my roots of faith are going to go deeper. Three things remain, faith, love, and hope. Christian, this is imperative for your life. In a world where people demand justice, demand answers, demand righteousness, it might not happen. It's not going to happen. So you have to have faith, a root system that goes deeper than the water table. Also, you guys know what a diamond is, don't you? Don't you? A diamond is nothing but a lump of coal that's been exposed to heat and pressure and time. And something beautiful came of it. Heat and pressure and time. Take a lump of coal, a worthless rock, nothing of value to it at all except for maybe some asphalt. God says, well, through time, pressure, and heat, I make beauty. This is so cool. Because if you're going through something right now that's painful, heated, pressurized, it's taking longer than it should. What if, what if you're like, oh, I'm just going to accept it. I'm going to accept it. Let the Lord have his way. And things aren't clear. They're not going to be clear. But one day they will be clear. Look at verse 12. It says, also, she, the bride, the wife, the city, had a great and high wall, 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. You're going to have to use your imagination to understand this walled city with gates around it. But the point that is the most important is that the gates are guarded by angels, and not just by angels, but that the gates have names written on, which are the 12 patriarchs of the faith. Jacob's children, listen, Abraham's grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the 12. Here's my point. How is heaven founded? How is heaven gated? How is heaven entered in? It's entered in through the father of faith. See, God called Abraham five, six, seven thousand years ago. He said, follow me, follow me. And Abraham followed and walked off his map not knowing where he was going. And God said, whoa, you just believe me? Yeah. You just, you just took me at my word? Yeah. Whoa. And God says, you and I are going to be friends. Be the friend of God. You want to be God's friend? Okay. You want to go to heaven? You want to enter in? You enter in through the gates of faith. This is important that we understand this. I want to go to heaven. It's by faith. The 12 gates, 12 angels, names written on. You have Levi, Reuben, Judah, Benjamin, Joseph, Issachar, Joseph's kids. Jesus said of himself, I am the door. In order to get to heaven, you go in through me and out through me. This is, I'm the way and the truth and the life. John 10 and John 14, Jesus said it's all about him. He said anybody else trying to get in any other way is a thief and a liar, but it's all about Jesus. You can answer that and tell them that there's a service at 11 a.m. They can come, come to. <laughs> it's also broadcast at 6 tonight. I'm just playing. But for real, answer that one. <laughs> Verse 12 or 13 or 14 goes on to say, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Stop right there, I up here. Just use your imagination. You've got this city. He's going to give us the measurements. The city is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Okay, It's a floating city over the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, It's as if it's the capital city over a new world. 
And it's the place that Jesus has been creating since he left 2,000 years ago, the new Jerusalem. 1,500 by 1,500, 1,500 cubes, it's, it's a cube. 1,500 miles, which is 12,000 furlongs, we'll read that in a minute. 1,500 cubed is over 3 billion miles big, okay? If you're wondering how big this city's gonna be, each person, if there were 100 billion people in planet Earth and 20 billion over the existence of humanity got saved, okay, there would be enough room for each one of us to have 75 acres in the new city, not counting the new earth and the new heaven. How many of you guys want 75 acres in the new city when you get up there? You know, it's gonna be pretty pretty legit. It's gonna be pretty legit. But we don't even have to see each other if we don't want to. Like, I'll see you over there, you know? And yet it's got these 12 gates, but then below the 12 gates, listen, there's 12 foundations. I, 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 can, I can understand one foundation, but there's 12 apparently. It's happening, it's still happening. There's 12 foundations here, and I want you guys to see that the 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is the people that Jesus chose to be the messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ the original 12 apostles. Now you guys know one of the apostles left Jesus, his name was Judas Iscariot, and he was replaced by Matthias. I believe Jesus replaced him more accurately by Paul the apostle. Let me just go ahead and read to you out of Ephesians chapter two though, and make sure you guys understand how important this is. Because not only do we enter into heaven by the faith of Abraham, but we also enter into heaven through the message of the apostles. Listen to this, this is Ephesians two. It says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone like we just sung, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Stop right there, eyes up here. That's Ephesians 2, 19 through the end. I want you guys to read that later. You're part of this community that is built on the foundation of the apostles. You guys read the book of Acts before? Do you guys get fired up at the church and the formation of the church when Jesus Christ said, now go into the highways and the byways and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? And 2,000 years later, here we are with that same message, the foundation of the apostles, the gates of the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs. All of this is what God has been doing. I say that again to burst your American view of the church, that it's just us and it's just our rights and it's just our little run at it. There's so much more going on. The very fact that God's waited this long to allow us even an opportunity to be there is crazy. He should have called everyone home when Martin Luther was you know, nailing theses on the door. But instead, the Lord waited. And it's gonna be founded, it's gonna be gated. Verse 15, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city. It's like a yardstick. He measured the gates and the walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city within the reed, 12,000 furlongs. I was looking for some jokes about furlongs last night. I found a couple that I could have used, but I didn't look for very long. Furlong. Furlong. <laughs> Been looking for long. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> well, verse 17. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, <laughs> according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. Now, those again, measurements of 12,000 furlongs equals 1,500 miles. And I gave you the dimensions already. It's a big city. And this is, if you would, your vacation home in heaven. 
Okay, this is just the capital city. In heaven, eternally, we're gonna be zipping around the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, doing God's work, living with each other, exploring his goodness in creation forever and ever. Okay, it's gonna be amazing. It goes on to describe what it's gonna be like. Verse 18, the construction of the wall, we're going to verse 21 and we're done for the day. The construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx the sixth, sardius, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Most of us have imagery of this scene streets of gold, pearly gates. A lot of us have an image of Peter being at the gates greeting us after we die and enter in. That's not biblical. Peter's not at the gates. Instead, the gates are constructed of solid pearls. In the foundation, 12 of them, the apostles' names written on them. Each of these foundation stones around the entirety, three billion miles in cubits. It's huge decorated with these stones. If you've ever bedazzled something, okay, this is gonna bedazzle you. This is gonna be next level. Last night I looked up each and every one of these stones. Just typed in each one, asked the internet how to say a few of them. And when I was reading this earlier, can you imagine being John? You're like 21 chapters into the Revelation. You're like, is this how, much, how many more chapters? I'm just curious. I just wanna know. You know, you're writing this down. Can you imagine writing this down? Give me a break. It's taken us like over a year to study it. And then this chapter is like, let me tell you about the stonework here. We got some crystal frames here, man. We got some Jason teeth, some onyx, some sardius stones. Like, slow down, dude. Like, I don't even know some of these stones. I had to ask myself that question. Did John know all these stones? Pearl and, and topaz and... Because I didn't know them all. Do you know them all? I looked them up. Each one of them. So beautiful. Natural. God's natural gemstones. Him just showing off, hiding these stones in rocks and in mountains. Anomalies, weird little just jewels. What kind of God do we serve? So loving, so kind, so beautiful, so creative. He's so fun, he's so unpredictable, and yet so reliable. And he throws all these stones and I'm reading like, what? <laughs> you know, sometimes when I'm cooking, I'll read the ingredients and I'll just kind of skip a few steps, you know. I'm in a hurry. That's why my wife cooks. And here it's just, it's very orderly. And the first time I read this, my, the illustration or application that came to my mind was is God's intentionality in his construction of the foundations and the gates and, the, and, and of the walls and because it's for people. And his intentionality and his purpose and his love and value for people is expressed in this way. Do you guys know that the most important thing in the entire world right now on planet Earth is people? It's not the climate. It's not the economy. It's not the animal kingdom. 
Okay, all those are important. They're very important. Not as important as you. Not as important as your brother or sister. Not as important as the nations around us. Not as important as every single person that God has created. And I believe these stones speak of God's worth and wealth invested in each and one of us. It's interesting though, those gates at the end are pearls. Can you imagine how big that pearl is? Like what in the world? Do you guys know that pearls are classified as gemstones? That they're thrown into that mix. And yet they're the only gemstone in creation. The only gemstone that is actually created inside a living organism. Every gemstone is created somewhere in a dead rock, creating another dead rock, and it's just beautiful. It's life-giving. A pearl is a gemstone, a series of deposits of certain elements within a clam or an oyster. You guys know this. And it's an anomaly. It's actually not supposed to happen. You guys know that an oyster, a clam, is not supposed to get an irritant, a sand, an invader inside of it, but when it does, it can't do anything about it doesn't have arms to grab it out, you know. Don't you guys just hate sand, by the way? Man, I just hate sand. Some people just like, they move to the Oregon coast and they just like, they're okay with sand. I don't know like what you do. Just sand, man, it's the worst. Anyways, and this oyster can't do anything about it. And so what it does, listen, this oyster says, okay, I can't do anything about it. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm getting cut up. I'm getting chewed up. I can't, I know, I'll accept it and I'll embrace it, and I'll cover it. And I'll, I'll cover it with this lacquer, with this secretion. I'll just cover it. And it does this over and over. It just, it's a natural response. And it, cover, it embraces and it covers this natural invader, this irritant, this thing that shouldn't be there. And those are the gates to get in and out of heaven. They're adorned with precious stones. I think this just speaks of God's creativity and his love and his control and his care, his concern. Jesus said, man, I see the hairs on your head. I see the birds when they fall. I, count. I know everything. You ever think God doesn't know what's going on in your life? Man, the Lord, he's obviously not paying attention. My, my, my marriage fell apart. My finances fell apart. My health, I can't believe this is happening. The Lord says, no, 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 no. That's an irritant in your life. It's not supposed to be there, but it is there. It's there. And it's how we enter into the pearly gates. It's how we enter into heaven. The Apostle Paul planted churches on his first missionary journey in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And as he planted churches in a, in a circuit, at the last stop, they stoned him to death, and he died. He got beat up, arms broken, beard ripped out, neck busted. And they gathered around and prayed, and he came back to life. Okay. And then he went back through every town that he had planted a church in. He's like, hey, <laughs> let me follow up my message. <sighs> By many sufferings and trials shall we enter into the kingdom of God. You know, pirate patch on, arm in a sling. <laughs> Barnabas carrying him around. It was a rough go. Guys, life is tough and God is good. Heaven is real. It's gonna happen. God's fashioning it for us right now. What, what are we doing? What are we waiting for? What's going on? Why aren't we there yet? Well, he's not done. He's, well, you know, he's bedazzling the foundation still. 
all of the gates aren't hewn. Yesterday, I was on the phone with uh, Stan, the cookie man. He's in a medical rehab center. His body's shutting down. We were doing a video conference after the memorial I'd went to, and I was at Papa Murphy's getting ready for, to cook dinner. <laughs> and I was there with Stan. I was looking at him. And I was like, Stan, there's nothing, nothing you can do, nothing I can do. I can't even come visit you. It's COVID-19. I can't even... I said, here's all, here's all you can do, Stan. You have to accept it and embrace it and shine God's grace through it. That's all you can do. I said, it's not your fault and you can't change it. It's not your fault and you can't change it. It's not your fault and you can't change it. All you can do is accept the junk that it is, the garbage that it is, the irritant that it is. It's not your fault and you can't change it. It might even be your fault, but you can't change it. Accept it and let the glory of God shine. See, we're so precise in our measurements that until this is fixed, I can't be nice. Until this is fixed, I can't bear fruit. Until this is fixed. Did you know that God often puts us in fixes? Not to fix the fix, but so the fix can fix us. You get that? The pearls. That's how we get in and out. Last thought, I want you guys to be encouraged with what in the world God's doing in your life. When Solomon constructed the temple of God, where the kabod would dwell, the glory, he ordered the stones from the quarry. And he ordered the stones and said, chisel the rocks, the foundation stones, and then bring them and set them in place. But I don't want to hear a chisel, and I don't want to hear a hammer. When the stones are put in place, they need to fit like a glove. These stones are 40 and 60 and 80 tons, okay? Huge stones. And he ordered them in the quarry. Can you imagine the guy at Home Depot getting that order? What do you say? And it has to fit perfectly at the quarry? You know. Any builders out there ever measure twice and still get it wrong? True story. And these stones would come from the quarry and they would be fit. And you couldn't even fit a piece of paper in between. It would be perfect. It's, it's crazy. To this day, we go look at these wreck or these ruins. Where they had no glue, no, no chisel, no hammer. It was instructed. All the work is done at the quarry. So God's temple. The Bible says you are being fit together. Heavenly stones. You know where you're at right now in life? You know what this is called? This is the quarry. You're being chiseled on. You're being cut down. You're being sanded. You're being tested. Embrace it. Do you feel like a blockhead? You are. You're a stone, a living stone. And God's grace is sufficient for our needs. Guys, this is a peak of heaven. But if you're like me, you're like, uh, I got stuff to do. <laughs> I'm here. I'm not there yet. Accept it. What are you, what's going on right now? Let the Lord create something beautiful in your life. Some of my most beautiful experiences I've ever had with the Lord and his glory and his goodness came at the cost of my own failures and shortcomings. Where I came up short, I did it wrong. 
I dropped the ball. I messed up. I'm the irritant. I'm the failure. I'm the bozo. I'm the crook. I'm the sinner. And just like when Peter denied the Lord the third time, he said he would never do it. He denied the Lord the third time. And the Bible says that Jesus at that same time was being led out of the praetorium, beaten and bloodied. And the Bible says Jesus saw Peter and beheld him with his eyes. He caught him. About from me to the coffee house. And it was eyes of compassion and grace. Pete, you just hit the ground, didn't you? I love you. I will, I will build you. I will dust you off. I will keep you going. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Heaven is founded, it is gated, it is adorned with wreckage that has been redeemed by the Savior. This is his bride, this is his church, this is the mess we call humanity. It's the good news. Because would you bow your heads and close your eyes? <laughs> Father, we pray to you now in Jesus' name. <laughs> With childlike faith. And I ask a special blessing and anointing and a special appetite for the glory of God. Lord, would you make us those men and women who are like Moses when you offered him the promised land, blessings and goodness, but you said, I'm not going in with you. And Moses said, no, I'm not going anywhere you're not. Would we be sons and daughters that desire your glory, your presence, the kabod, the weightiness, the goodness, the peace, everywhere we go? Would you even now today rebuild us and rekindle us, Lord? I see some oysters. I see some pearls. Lord, I see some stones being fitted together. I see chisels and I hear hammers. And it hurts. And yet we trust you, Jesus, because we know you're not done. And that if it took you six days to create heaven and earth the first time and you're waiting this long, Lord. We trust you for your plan, for your process. Would you anoint us, though, Holy Spirit, to be the church of God, the bride of the King? Thank you for all you've done. Lead us and guide us. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to walk close to you. Even this day, Lord, we rejoice in what you've done. Lead us for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen.